Welcome to the Doctoral Mentoring Masterclass for faculty sponsored by Walden University's Office of Research and Doctoral Services. I'm Lee Stallander, the Associate Director of Faculty Research Training at Walden. If you're a Walden faculty member and would like credit for listening to this Masterclass podcast, please make a note of the code that will be given during the session and email it to me. I hope you enjoy the masterclass. Once again, hello and welcome. My name is Lita Downs. I'm with the Office of Teaching and Learning Excellence, and I will be behind the scenes today during our masterclass. Um, so I would like to welcome you to our seventh doctoral mentoring masterclass. And as some of you may know, the masterclasses are designed to allow faculty who have been identified as exceptional mentors to share their experiences and insights with the mentoring community. Today's session will be on strategies for how to mentor students through the proposal. And on the line today, we have our moderator, Dr. Lee Statlander, along with our three panelists, Dr. Carol Pierce, Dr. David Siegel, and Dr. Vasilios Margaritas. It's my pleasure to now turn things over to Dr. Lee Statlander. Welcome. Thank you, Lita. Um, I am Lee Statlander, and I'm the coordinator of faculty research training in ORDS. I'd like to introduce our panel members of Exceptional Mentors. Why don't we start with Carol? Can you tell us about yourself? Hi, good afternoon, everyone, or good morning, wherever you are. Um, I'm really excited, first of all, to let you know uh, that we really appreciate you attending our masterclass today. I uh, am an academic program coordinator in the Raleigh College of Education and Human Services. And I support both uh, EDD and PhD classes. And that will probably be enough for now. So thank you. Sure. Vasilios. Yes. Hello, everyone. I'm Vasilios Margaritis. I'm a senior core faculty in Dr. PH and PhD in public health programs. I'm also PD prospectus reviewer for both of these programs. And I have been mentoring and uh, uh, guiding students for more than 10 years at Walden, and I have graduated more than 100 doctoral students. So I'm looking forward for this session, and I echo, I echo Carol's comments about thank you for attending, and thank you, Lee, again, for coordinating this. Awesome. And David? Hi, welcome everybody. So I am Dr. Siegel. I am in the um, uh, College of Health Professions and uh, in the Public Health PhD program. Uh, I have been mentoring students uh, since 2010, and um, I, I have graduated also a number of students. I serve as chair, member, and uh, URR for a number of committees. Uh, I also attend very actively academic residencies, um, and I do that. I thoroughly enjoy those interactions. So I look forward to our dialogue today and hopefully it will um, resonate with everybody and we welcome your questions at the end. Very good. So let's start with kind of the beginning for students. How do you have students approach the proposal? So where do they start? And whoever wants to can jump in. Okay, well, I guess I'll, I'll start and yes. I'd like to add a couple of <laughs> See? 
You were the first, David. We're going to have to raise our hand, I think. Um, <laughs> no, go ahead, Dr. Be, Pierce. Be, you can go ahead first. <laughs> before the student actually propose, uh, works on the prospectus, I think it's really important that a faculty member get to know the student to find out what the student's expectations are for the faculty members and vice versa. The committee members need to know what the student's expectations are. Because I really think that um, really crisp communication gets the student started off uh, well instead of writing you know, a draft and, and then having this conversation. Have this conversation first. What I do, uh, I serve as both chair and second committee member for students. Um, and I've been doing this for 14 years. So what I've learned is that um, before the term even starts, when I'm assigned a student, I have a meeting with that student if I'm the committee chair. Talk to them. We need to know why they're getting a doctoral degree. Um, number one, because that really helps us drive and motivate the students and better understand what their purpose is for being a Walden student. David. <laughs> okay, so to, to add to that, so at the proposal stage, um, I think the, the I, I like to have, the order I like to have my students work on is chapter two first. So, because um, pr the prospectus will help them fill in most of chapter one. But chapter two, uh, I think, is the most um, challenging for a lot of students because it really requires them to read through the literature and to do an exhaustive review of their particular research problem. So I really, I really try to get them set up from, at the proposal stage um, to really hitting the literature. And, and actually, before they even get to that point, they should be reading regularly. But at the proposal stage, the first thing is to try to get them organized around their research problem and, and to really, um, you know, looking through all of the current literature that's known at least five years. And, and in some cases, it has to be even more current, depending upon the activity of the research problem. Um, but they have to get organized. So I try to provide them with resources and tools at Walden in terms of, you know, reading, reading their sources and then being able to organize them into categories, groups that they can readily pull up as they need to when they start to formulate. And I think getting started, I try to ask them for an outline. So try to outline the major uh, sections that you think are gonna be relevant to your, to your problem. So that way you know what areas to really hit in the literature because you can get lost in the vast ocean of the literature nowadays. There's so many publications that it can be overwhelming for a lot of students. So that's how I, I attempt to get them started in the beginning uh, is to really hit that and become mastering of that. So I'll turn it over to Dr. Margarias. Thank you, Dr. Figal. So I totally agree with both of you. I, I like a lot to set the expectations early with the student, discuss about what we expect from the proposal. What is a proposal? We discuss a little bit uh, the difference between a dissertation and a doctoral study, because sometimes students are confused uh, that they have uh, three chapters, uh, the rubrics, all this stuff. But to start with the proposal, I have a little bit different approach than Dr. Siegel's. I ask them to work concurrently with chapter one and chapter two. Why? Because chapter one 
is an extended prospectus. So they feel that they are progressing when they write in chapter one and they have a, a relatively easy deliverable uh, early in the quarter. So they are encouraged. And then, and in the same time, they are working with chapter two, which as you all know, is the most difficult one, is an exhaustive literature review, and they need to search, 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 so they can go back again to chapter one to change something. So I want them to work together these chapters and, um, and then they can provide me their result and their deliverable. The other significant component is to communicate a little bit the process of the reviews. For example, I say that as a chair, I need to uh, complete the review and the approval of the whole proposal, chapter one to three, before going to the committee member. I feel it is a little bit confusing to approve chapter one, go to the member to approve also, go back chapter two with me, then to the member. They can receive duplicated and uh, sometimes confusing feedback. So my advice is that as a chair, complete the approval of the proposal and the student needs to know that, and then we can go to the committee member. Mm -hmm. And also as chairs, we need to communicate this to the member so they can know what to expect. It's very frustrating for the committee member after 10 quarters receiving a paper that they don't know anything. So we need to regularly communicate uh, with uh, the committee member trying to say, you know, we are progressing, we are uh, in this phase, and maybe we need some input from you for specific parts, for example, methodology, but my approach is to have approved first the proposal and then go to the committee member. And how about everybody else? Do you, you follow that same pattern or do you do something different? I find that that seems to be the case um, in most cases. Um, sometimes you may have to go, the, the, there might be some benefits of reaching out to the second committee member, for example, if they're a methodology expert. And so they're they're serving that role, and so the student might want to reach out to them and and you know bounce some ideas off of them and get some feedback. Um, so then that that is definitely open, and I I tell the students you know you shouldn't be going to them regularly, but if you have some questions that they obviously can provide some expertise on, you can definitely reach out to them. Uh, but I always try to ask the committee member you know we, you know what what is your preference? Do you want to see a draft earlier or do you want to wait for the final proposal? Again, I, I agree, just communication is the key. So everybody knows the expectations, the student understands it, all, every, all the members on the committee understand. And I think that's just the most important thing. And, and I think part of that also, just making sure that the student um, understands every step along the way. You know, what are the stages of the dissertation process? So if they are submitting something for a review, they are doing something else in the meantime. They're not just sitting around waiting for the review, okay? They should always understand and anticipate the next step. Uh, they should be the ones that are driving this, this whole process. We're there to facilitate and, and help them and guide them along the way, but it's really the student's research and we have to be cognizant of that and, and make sure we don't hold them back in any way. We always encourage you to. 
Well, I agree with both you gentlemen. However, there are times when there's a student that I'm working with that I may need feedback from a second member much sooner. Mm -hmm. So it depends on the student. Sometimes students, you know, follow everything we ask them to do as chair and they, 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 they just take off writing and um, sometimes they want us to leave them alone. But um, the ones that need extra support and attention, it just depends on the student as to whether or not I bring in the student at the end of the, the second committee member at the end of the proposal writing or during the process. Because there are times when the student and I may be discussing a particular component of the proposal, and it is helpful to the student to have another opinion, another person chiming in. So it depends on the student and what the student needs. And sometimes the student just gets stuck. And, you know, I can explain something to the student and you all could explain something to the student, but maybe a fresh set of eyes might even look at the, the situation from a different perspective. So I, it's very individualized for me, depending on who the student is and how the writing process is going. Tony Perry brought up in the chat that the university has been encouraging concurrent review process so that both the chair and so second committee member are reviewing parts. Has anybody tried that? Any feedback on it? Yeah. Yeah, I do that. Um, and actually, sometimes the students request it. Um, and yesterday I got a I'm the second committee member for a student and he sent the draft to both of us, the chair and the second and, and me as second. And um, sometimes the chair will ask me to read it first. Behind the scenes, the student's not aware of that. And then um, he will read it. Uh, it's a gentleman. And then we send both comments, both the document with both of our comments to the student. So in that case, the student's getting feedback from both committees uh, in one review. It takes a little extra time. The student is aware of that. But nonetheless, if we let the student know what is going on behind the scenes, it makes a really big difference. But the student gets feedback from both committees at, in the same review period. I, I've done that as well, but I want to make sure we have a certain amount in the draft that it's at a it's at a certain point where they're able to see the whole you know all three chapters in the alignment. Um, I don't want to hit them too early where they don't see the whole picture. So that's it's important that we provide make sure that it's it's ready for them to review. Um, it doesn't have to be the final review, but at least getting some initial feedback maybe certain areas they might pick up on that might be a problem and then we can address it before we actually formally put it in task stream and then go through the final review. So I do think that's very helpful. I also agree, um, but also I want to be honest a little bit with that. It depends also how well we know the committee member and how if we have a previous experience and uh, with them, um, this is a big university. You may cooperate with persons that we don't know well, and sometimes the feedback can be confusing for the student and you as a chair need to coordinate that. So as you said, communication first, but experience is very significant for that. And uh, according to my experience, 
being the chair as coordinating the process is uh, is uh, is more efficient for the student. For example, even for a concurrent uh, review by both the committee member and the and the chair, sometimes the chair needs to communicate with the member to clarify some deal breakers with the paper before going to the students. I have seen exchange of emails between the member, the chair, and the student who all disagree about things, and this is not very good, believe me. So just have some process in our mind how we can do that, and this can work. But always don't let this random, you know, we need to know what we are doing. Uh, Lee, I'd like to comment. I just saw Dorothy's comment. So, Dorothy, uh, just to let you know, you must have been reading my notes for this uh, masterclass because that's one thing that I had made a note about is um, when I first work with a committee member I have not worked with before, I say, hey, let's have a, let's have a chat. Let's talk. You know, I want to know how you work. Uh, let me share with you how I work. Uh, so that we can collaborate with the student. Being an academic program coordinator uh, that I am, uh, I also uh, navigate and support and resolve. I'm trying to think of some really good verbs here. Um, situations that come about because the committee members are not communicating. And that is a really big key for having an effective committee is making sure the committee's on the same page, uh, literally, because we're writing a doctoral, writing a dissertation. But nonetheless, um, it's an appropriate cliche for our conversation is the committee members need to know what to expect from each other so that they can collaborate to know what the student expects of them. So, um, Dorothy, thanks for bringing that up. And I just wanted to address it. Okay. I also, do Sorry to point out, yeah. that there is a little bit difference between also the core faculty and the contributing faculty. We know that for now, and hope this will change, a contributing faculty are paid uh, according to the reviews of specific phases, prospectus, proposal, final study. So doing concurrently and continuous reviews as the chair during the quarter maybe it's a little bit of unfair. So I want to put this also for the leadership to think. Uh, for the core faculty, it's different. If we have two different two core faculty the committee, yes, this can be different because the workload can be, you know, um, uh, more evenly distributed. So uh, always we need to consider the time of the contributing faculty, especially as member, that they receive less compensation about the uh, reviews of the papers. Well, I think just to clarify, I think it's the role. So the chair is going to be getting a little more compensation than the second member. So I try to be, and that's why I try to be cognizant of that. And I try to be respectful of the other members time. Uh, the chair, obviously I expect to put in much more time and, and working with the student. And so I try to, to you know, respect other people's obligations, but I do try to regularly connect with the members as well. I do want to ask, how often do you meet with your students um, and how often do you expect to get drafts from them? 
So first, uh, I think uh, because we are in proposal phase, don't forget we know the students, right? So mm -hmm. don't go back to their prospects, etc. But in the start of the quarter, the first week, immediately we need to meet to set expectations, to draft the quarter plan and see what is ahead of us for this quarter. I'm always very quarter focused because the students are, you know, sometimes have very high expectations. They expect that in this quarter, I complete everything. I want my defense. So we need to see what we will do this quarter to decide that, to uh, be clear about that, not to have complaints. Then ideally for me, it's a weekly, um, even a brief uh, phone call or a chat. Uh, email sometimes does not work well if we don't have a draft, but for to see how the things are going, I think a, a quick call, uh, for example, on Friday or Friday to see what happened this week can work. And about the drafts, Lee, uh, it depends on the phase. I think when they are working on chapter one and two, which is long uh, chapters, uh, I give them time, for example, three weeks to submit their first draft. It depends on the student, of course, their capabilities. But in my mind, I think we need to set deadlines for the student and say to them, you know, until this week, I need to receive something to see how the things are going, uh, if they struggle with the writing, with their literature review. So I can give them library, writing center advice, whatever they need early, not wait the whole quarter to receive something. And sometimes the students say, I don't have anything. And I say, try to draft something and send it to me. Because if in three weeks they don't have anything, this is not a good sign. So try to be proactive about the drafts and set deadlines. So I, I have, I think it's also, it's very, you have to be very flexible. I think every student is a little different. I try to be respectful of their outside obligations. Um, you know, everyone's got different pressures on themselves and, and time. Um, I try to be very respectful and cognizant of the time that they have to devote to this. Um, if I, I don't, I do not let weeks and weeks and weeks go by though. I, I definitely will check in. I have done it both ways where, and again, like we know our students, right? You get to learn the ones that are self-motivated and can carve out the time and turn around things very quickly. And then there's some other ones that don't do that and they can kind of get lost. So um, the ones that need a little bit more attention, those are the ones that I'll try to reach out to and say, you know, we can do weekly, we can do bi-weekly meetings, but generally I don't let it go any longer than two weeks. I, I just don't want to let them go for the whole term and at the end find out, you know, that then they submit something. So I think having frequent communication with the students, even if it's just a short email of, hey, here's what I'm thinking, here's some supportive information about it, you know, what do you think? I mean, just something like that, as opposed to having to redo the whole draft again. So it's just to stay in touch and let them know, you know, are there any problems, any obstacles you're running into? Because I can help direct you to different resources at Walden. If I know what the problem is, I would rather help you get aligned earlier than later. Um, and so that's, I, I, I agree. I totally agree. Just try to be, be very communicative with them. 
You know, I'm having really fun with this conversation because I do a combination of all those things and I do other things because I've had students that wanted a weekly check-in. So we scheduled a an ongoing reoccurring meeting at the same time on the same day every week. And the benefit of that is if the student writes me the day of or whatever and says, this is not, a, I don't need to meet with you today. That's fine. We'll meet the following week, but at least we have something on the calendar. I have students that I also, they tell me when I should expect a draft from them uh, based on what uh, what their schedule is and what they're doing. But the expectations have to be clear no matter what the course is. And with those students, they if I haven't talked to a student, uh, David, I like your suggestion in about a couple of weeks, I will reach out to them and say, how are you doing? Do we need to schedule a meeting? Um, some students want a regular meeting. Some students want to meet when they have something to talk about. So here again, it's it's me knowing what the students want and what they're doing, but to keep being very proactive about making sure that the students are doing something meaningful to make progress. Yeah, and I've actually tried the other approach where I set fixed deadlines, like give me this by this certain time. Let's you know make sure we you submit some deliverables. And actually, in a lot of some cases, when they're not, they they aren't able to do that, they back away. And so that's the other thing you have to balance. You know, you don't want to put too much pressure where it, it they'll shut down and they won't be as open and and um, you know be interacting with you as much. Um, so again, it's a balancing act. Um, mm -hmm. This is a long-term relationship. Uh, the most important thing is just make sure the student understands that you're in their corner. I am your advocate. I am there to support you. I'm not there to be an obstacle. Um, you know, let me know if there's personal things in the way. Um, we can address them, and there there are strategies mm -hmm. in place. Um, you know, let's do it together. Yes, and I want to say, I saw in the chat that with Dorothy said and some other person, and I agree with that with the new check-in uh, list that we have in the courses, courses setting deadlines can be challenging. Mm -hmm. But always we have the one-to-one -one communication with the student. We have the emails, we can communicate. We, we can provide some feedback in the canvas, even with the check-in. Uh, procedure and uh, Carol will appreciate this as a coordinator. You know, when the students do not progress well and they have petitions and we have the danger of the unsatisfactory grade, we need documentation. So it's good to set the email, say, you know, we need a deadline about this, let's discuss if you cannot do that because. All the students start very excited. And after six, seven, eight, nine, 12, 15 quarters, the problem starts. So we need to be proactive. The other thing I want to highlight to my colleagues is that, um, to, the, to our attendees, is that we need to remind to the students that doing this dissertation is like a job. They need to block some time during the week. I know it's not easy. I also did my PhD when I was working and having two children, small children. It was crazy, but 
we need they need to understand that this is something that they need to block time every week, even one hour per day, which is not a lot, but for some students is a lot. So they need to do that. Why? Because we, we need to save them time and money in the long term. We don't want them to be eight years in this phase. So they need to understand that they need to dedicate time even to read articles even to keep some notes about their statistical analysis, whatever. And this is, this is very helpful in the end of the quarter. They see the progress that they made. Yeah, I totally agree. And a lot of times I'll have a conversation with a student and ask them what they are doing to manage their time. And for instance, I had a student uh, not too long ago that said, you know, I don't have any time. She's really, really busy, a mother, family, uh, busy job, like most of our students have. And I said, when can you carve out time in your day to work on your study? And she thought for a moment and she said, you know what? If I get up a little early every day, I will have time to work on my study before I have these other obligations. And she started doing that. She started getting up an hour early. Um, and she that's when she did her work. She was at her freshest and it made a significant difference in her progress. We are getting a lot of questions. Let me see if we can get to a few of them. I, I think Lee, this is with the, our next topic, with the challenges. So <laughs> I see the challenges question. So we are <laughs> We're getting some specific ones. So how do you work with students? And let me say, this was Ann Hacker, who have capacity limitations such as writing, critical analysis, et cetera. Can you share any success stories? Oh, <laughs> unfortunately, this is very often. <laughs> it's not. It's not rare, and unfortunately, also in my programs, uh, I'm one of the persons that I'm assigned the students. So again, it's it's very. Um, we need to have a very individual approach for each student. What's the problem? Is the writing thing? Is the the statistical issue thing? is uh, that they are not receptive to feedback, is uh, what is the problem? So depending on this problem, we will need to find the appropriate solution, uh, try to suggest the resources at Walden, even try to suggest some out, uh, you know, uh, editors outside of Walden. Always we need to know what they are doing. Uh, we need to suggest some webinars that they can take, uh, for me, the most difficult part is the writing issue. Uh, some students, they have very good ideas, but they struggle a lot to have a good scholar paper and a chapter two, for example, which is long. So they need to work a lot with the writing center, but sometimes they need to hire an external editor if they want to be successful. Unfortunately, otherwise, this cannot work, but we we know this from the prospectus phase. So we need to build this, try to, to help the student build the skills early. Don't wait the proposal 
um, you know, to find some things. And to be quick with the statistical analysis, according to the question, is that, uh, yes, this is a very challenging issue. First, they need to read. They need to go back to the resources. Again, we have the statistical advisors. And us, as advisors and the committee member, we need to uh, go for each research question, provide some examples, provide some things, what they can do. We need to be specific, not just use this test. Explain why they need to use this test. Yeah, yeah, I think I echo that. I, 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 Walden has such great resources available to both faculty and students that depending upon their needs, uh, if writing is an issue, there, there are tutors available for them. We can, we can, for literature review, you have the librarians who can help them with their searches. You've got dissertation intensives. You've got a number of resources that are just readily available. And that's something that I appreciate as a faculty member. I can direct them to those resources and they can actively, you know, have someone who can help them, give them active feedback. Um, uh, you know, you try to be as specific as possible for their needs. Um, and, uh, but I just think that Directing them to uh, the available resources is just great. And so you've got a lot of places for that. Uh, IRB issue, you know, you can reach out to them early and you can actually actually ask them questions about, you know, whether there's potential, you know, um, you know, uh, bias, uh, conflict of interest, you know, things like that. You can, you, there, there are so many resources that are available that I just try to tell the students, try to get to know where all these things are. And they should be learning that participating in the residencies. Those are great places where they'll get exposed to all of those resources. Um, so I, I agree. I think just, tr you know, again, try to get to know your students really well. Try to try to identify any particular gaps that they're missing and then just try to connect them with the sources and just ensure that they're 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 making progress. I would like to address Anthony's comment about writing classes. Um, I do recommend writing classes to students and they find them very, very helpful. Once in a while, students uh, really don't appreciate having an extra thing to do as a, as a student and as a, um, an adult who has multiple responsibilities, but the writing classes are good. And in addition to what um, has already been said, I also like to model good writing for students. Um, Sometimes taking a couple extra minutes uh, to actually edit a student's paragraph and say, this is, try to use the least words possible to say what you want to say. And I start teaching students how to do that. You know, look at a sentence and say, okay, this is what you wrote. How many, do you need all these words? What's the most concise way you can share this idea with the reader? And um, that uh, guidance and prompting also helps. Yeah, and I think in that regard, I think learning how to um, express, you know, find their voice, their own voice, and get the confidence to be able to explain what's been done and why you're doing what you're doing, but be able to explain that with confidence. That's what I want to instill in my students. And, I, and so a lot of times they'll say, you know, when they do their reviews, they're just either annotating stuff or they're just going to say, well, Dr. Blank says this, Dr. Blank says that. So well, what do you think? <laughs> I want to know what you think. So you should read those five studies and then tell us why that's pertinent to your study and how is your study mm -hmm. going to be different? And so I try every time I can 
to try to give them examples of that in the writing and then try to make sure that they can get the confidence necessary to really synthesize. All, and it's just so much information. So the better you can master this, it's going to show up in your writing. It's going to show up when you get ready for the defense as well. Also, I want to remind to all of you, you know, well, that one of the greatest resources at Walden is peer interaction. Students need to connect each other, especially when they are in our courses. We have some that are in the final phase, some of the prospectus phase. So I always encourage them to interact, to exchange emails, to exchange forms, sometimes something that I forgot as a resource or an advice. A student who learned with the hard way to remind to the other students. And also, I keep notes for that. When I'm in the final defense, I ask the students who graduate, what are, what are, which are two or three advices that you can give to your peers? So usually these advices are pure gold and I keep these notes and they know what the student uh, the students needs so encourage them to interact sometimes the students live very near i have two students that live in houston and they want to meet each other and work and this was one of the limitations that we lost in person residencies because there they develop more uh, their um, their interaction hope that this this will come back but remember studying online it can be very very isolating so we need to encourage them to connect, to connect each other, and this can help. Totally agree with that one. We have just a couple minutes left. Would anyone in the audience like to unmute and ask a question? The code for this session is 88TJ. If you raise your hand, I can we can make sure that we can unmute you. We have somebody. Um, hello. 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 Uh, this is <laughs> Zan Hacker. Um, this has been really helpful. Um, I'm not turning my uh, camera on because it's the end Fine. of the day and I'm terrible. But um, I, this has been really helpful. I'm wondering if any of you have any experience with students that you need to, you're going to give a U2, you know it's the second one, and you also know that the student does not have the ability at this time to get this thing done in a reasonable time period. How do you, how do you talk to and engage students? I understand we have relationships with them, uh, um, and that can be very helpful, but have any of you had those kind of students and how did you broach that topic with them? If, if any of you did. Yes, I, I had a recent situation. Thankfully, this is not very often, but uh, it, <laughs> it's, it's very difficult for us too. Um, again, we start this conversation early in the quarter saying, you know, uh, you need this quarter to uh, progress, you know, et cetera. What do you need? 
what are the problems, what we want from us, how we can help you. Sometimes the students disappear, sometimes the students do not provide good route. So it's very significant that in the middle of the quarter, and this is, I think, a requirement, we need to, to give uh, a warning letter about what is the problem and you will receive a second view. I also try to communicate this to our PD and to our uh, research coordinator for some advice or if they know the situation, something about that from students' affairs, what they can do. So I try to, uh, what I say, to uh, do whatever I need to, to be sure that this view will be awarded. But we need to be honest with the students. If we see that there are significant, significant issues and they cannot progress, uh, we need to tell them and we need to provide the view. Otherwise, they lose money and time. And we can see after that, it's it's the leadership problem, what they can do with these students. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I And I also think that um, it shouldn't be something that's coming out of left field. I mean, this is something that you should be, it should be something that over time it's been developing. And so you've seen a pattern, um, you know, come up in, uh, time and time again. And so it should be something that you're trying to help the student, trying to be there for them and try to, you know, they should be aware of this. It shouldn't be like, oh, all of a sudden I got this you. It should be something that we, we, we've been communicating very regularly and in spite of you know, whatever the suggestions are and, the, and, and your attempts, you're just not making progress. And it could be for a variety of reasons. I mean, everybody's got a lot of pressures and obligations and I, and again, you know, it's a difficult process. It's, it's very challenging getting this done. And so I think just trying, and I tell the students, just try to be honest with yourself. Just, you know, be realistic about your expectations of getting through this program. It's a lot, of, it's a, it takes a lot of time so don't add extra pressures on yourself and other things. Just stay focused. We're going to set realistic goals. And hopefully, you know, if everything goes well, you're going to make sufficient progress. And if not, we'll try to address those things. But I, again, use, I don't think, show up that often. But I think most importantly, it shouldn't be a surprise. You know, I'm finding the comments in the chat really interesting because... Anthony, I believe you made a note that um, the, the warning letter is not used in your program and other programs are required to have the warning letter. Uh, since in the College of Education, we have recently um, reorganized and the academic program coordinators are also the program directors. So I'm the recipient of all this stuff. And one of the things we do is try to talk to the student um, and look for other options. Uh, in, in the College of Education, we have EDS programs that the students could shift to. We are in the process um, of looking for ways, and this is forthcoming, we're still working on this, looking for certificate programs for students so that if they complete the first the core courses and the dissertation is not a viable option for them, that they can still get a certificate because a lot of um, professions now appreciate their employees having certificate programs. So there's a lot of different ways we are exploring um, 
options for students because we want to make sure that they feel accomplished as much as they can be, um, considering they may not be ready or willing to write a dissertation at this particular point in time. Great. And I'm going to have to stop us here. This was a great session. I really appreciate all of your insights, and I'm sure everybody else does too. We've also had a lot of great comments in the chat area, and I encourage people, if you have other ideas that didn't come up, that you may email them to me, and I'll include them in our guidebook that we're putting together. So thank you to our wonderful panelists. You guys were awesome. And thanks, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. Bye. 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 This podcast was sponsored by Walden University's Office of Research and Doctoral Services. Our music was by Excel Music Publishing, licensed under Creative Commons.